Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz and I am your host and uh, we've got uh, quite a show for you today. Um, now we've mentioned quite a lot that the, the podcast is always recorded on a Friday but I'm actually re-recording um, this introduction on Saturday morning because uh, I've just woken up here in Western Australia to see some very exciting news uh, from North America where the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control in uh, the USA, has uh, made an announcement around the uh, the resumption of cruising. Now, it is a huge 40-page document, so I haven't had a chance to read it in depth, but basically they have cancelled the, the, the no-sale order and um, they're basically introducing a framework around the phased resumption of cruising, which uh, basically is asking the cruise lines to do some uh, dummy voyages with volunteers and staff and things and to test, test, test and test um, so that we can the, the CDC can be 100% positive that... Um, the ships are doing everything in their power to to keep us and uh, their crew and staff uh, incredibly safe. Um, so uh, whilst we don't have a date yet, we do know that it, you know it will take about sixty to ninety days for the ships to be uh, brought back from their their warm or cold layup, depending where they are in the world. Um, and it won't be every ship coming straight back into operation. It will be a very very staged, a very um, a very thought out process of bringing certain ships back at certain times and. Uh, doing the right thing by everybody. So um, some some great news. And also locally here in Western Australia, we've just relaxed our borders to the rest of Australia from 14 November. So it's it's quite an exciting uh, weekend here in Western Australia, wherever you're listening. I'm sure uh, you're, you're doing everything you can to stay safe and well as well. We know that uh, many of you are listening in from the UK, from Singapore, from Croatia, from, from North America. So uh, thank you for listening. And uh, thank you to those of you that do uh, contact us via the website if you do have a particular question. And uh, today we're answering a question from Lynn in today's podcast uh, at the end of the show. Uh, Lynn is uh, a Kunada and uh, had a few questions about what will the, uh, the cruise activities be like on board. So do stay through to the end of today's show because we will be answering that question. And if you have a particular question um, or you'd like to leave a cruise review, you can contact us via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com and click on the, the little button, uh, join the show. Now, we've got an incredible show today. Um, uh, Pete, it can't join us this week, unfortunately, but uh, Chris will be joining us in just a second. He's got his maritime history. He's got his cruise news, of course, and uh, that listener question, which we'll be answering uh, towards the end. So uh, we'll jump straight into it. Enjoy this week's episode. Hey, guys, 
Did I mention there's a little way you can help keep this uh, podcast on air? That's right, just for the cost of a coffee, uh, so about four Aussie dollars, about two pounds something, about two euros something, um, you can make a donation and that helps uh, keep the lights on and keep the, the podcast uh, producing in, the, in this weekly format. Um, or you can join up as a member and make a, a monthly uh, subscription and in return receive some incredible um, bonus material as well. Um, all the details are on the show notes of each individual podcast or you can head to uh, the website buymeacoffee forward slash the big cruise pod. And uh, we look forward to uh, shouting you out if you are able to uh, to make a little donation. Thanks in advance. And as always, first up on the show, it's time to welcome back our good friend, cruise historian and uh, all things cruise news, Chris Frame. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Barry. Great to be back again. Yeah. Now, as always, we kick off, first of all, with uh, some maritime history. And your topic of choice this week is the fastest ships in the world, or fastest ship in the world, should I say? Yeah, so I get quite a lot of questions about this and actually a few through social media from from people who actually said that they um, had been listening to the the podcast, um, mainly because we talk about um, in the history all these ships doing these long voyages and people are kind of interested as to like how long it actually took and then which were the fastest ones. So I thought Mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to focus yeah it'd be interesting to focus on the fastest of the fast and the ship that still to this day holds the speed record for the fastest ocean liner in service um, and that's an american ship um, called the ss united states ss standing for steamship so if you see that of before, course yeah yeah if you see ss before the name of a ship that's what it stands for steamship it means it was propelled propelled by um, steam engines and in this particular ship's case they were westinghouse um geared steam turbines which gave her a very um fast top speed now to to give a bit of context around this particular ship um we have to go back to world war ii um Mm -hmm. and so you'll remember we've spoken about the queens during the war and elizabeth and mary and how they used to carry all those troops across the atlantic Mm-hmm. Um, Queen Mary holds a record still today for the most people ever tra- traveled on a ship. It was 16,682 in one crossing on a, Whoa. yeah, on a ship about the size of, um, you know, it's smaller than the, than definitely smaller, much smaller than, uh, the largest Cunard ship today, um, in terms of tonnage. In fact, it's smaller mm-hmm. than all three of the Cunard ships. Uh, and yet she has such a huge passenger capacity on this particular service during the, during the um, Atlantic trooping service. Now, in order to do that, the United States government had had to charter the um, Queens. So, in effect, um, the U.S. was chartering British ships to move their troops. And following the war, they they really didn't want to have that situation again. Um, and of course, you know, with um, things developing in the Cold War, there mm-hmm. was a, a school of thought that they would need large, fast troop ships, and they didn't want to have to rely on another country to provide them. So, the idea was to build. Uh, fast troop ships of their own but you know these ships weren't necessarily going to be required for trooping so the idea was that they'd have um, ocean liners that they could requisition into service so the ss united states herself was was designed and built with this double life in mind so an ocean liner um during peacetime and if there was ever a a wartime scenario she could be easily trans um transferred to become a uh a troop ship um, so she was designed uh, in the very late 1940s, early 1950s, and she set sail on her maiden voyage in 1952. 
um, the ship was built in America and was designed um, to be uh, sort of very, um, not just easily convertible, but also very suitable for a dangerous wartime use. So there, there, there was a lot of fire retardant materials used on board. They reduced the amount of um, um, of material that could, could catch fire if the ship was ever under attack. Uh, in fact, the original designs even called for a piano made out of um, metal rather than out of wood. So they took, wow. it, <laughs> they took it to the extremes. Um, and in fact, I think the piano ended up being one of the only um, combustible wooden materials on board the ship at the end. They, they actually went away from the idea of using the, <laughs> the metallic piano. Um, so when she entered service on her, on her maiden voyage in July of 1952, she um, crossed from America to Europe and she actually captured the speed record, the eastbound speed record. Um, which at that stage ha- was awarded um, the Hales Trophy, which was a, a trophy awarded for the fastest Atlantic crossing. Now, the westbound crossing is um, is known as the Blue Riband. Westbound is actually that's from Europe to America. It's actually a harder crossing because you're actually sailing against the Gulf Stream. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's the reason why that particular direction is what um, awarded a ship the coveted um, accolade. It was very much something that people, um, cruise line, uh, shipping lines wanted to have. So they could say they have the fastest crossings of the Atlantic. Um, because, you know, if you're traveling faster, then you get there in, in better time. And it's for business travelers and for people who want to get to their destination, they would, they'd be willing to pay a premium to go on the faster ships. Um, and Queen Mary had the record at that point, but on the return crossing, um, United States broke that record too, and by a sizable margin. So she she had a, a top speed. Um, well, uh, it was said that during her sea trials she went over forty knots in her in her sea trials, which is remarkable. Um, yeah. She could go backwards faster than most of the ocean liners could go forwards, and this is because they put this super powerful um, power plant in her that was sort of um, similar to the technology that was being used in the steam powered um, aircraft carriers at the time big wow. Westinghouse engines, um, and it uh, it just gave her this tremendous speed. Um, again, because if she was going to be operating as a troop ship, you need to get people to places very quickly, and so the speed was of paramount importance. Um, now, the ship sailed from 1952 onwards, but I guess you can imagine <laughs> that uh, the 1950s were a bit of a turbulent time, particularly late 50s, um, for, for shipping lines because jet aircraft came in in 1958, Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, it, they'd, they'd been on the scene slightly earlier than that with the Comet, but that wasn't um, so successful. When the 707 uh, entered service in 1958, things really did start to, to change. And by the 1960s, people were now crossing the Atlantic um, by air uh, on a regular basis on these jet airplanes, um, Pan American and American Airlines and uh, British or, or BOAC, which was the precursor to, to British Airways. They um they were were all um, early adopters of the of the seven oh seven, so um, passenger traffic on the Atlantic started to decline, and by nineteen sixty nine, um, the United States was withdrawn from service. So she she didn't stay in service for very long. Um, no, and she was no no, and you know there's um there's actually a really iconic photograph of her on one of her last voyages passing the QE two, which was just on one of its first voyages, and that's one of the the few times that those two great liners met. Um, but the United States was designed as a totally as an ocean liner, so she didn't have any cruising amenities on board at all. So it wasn't like they could just easily convert her into a cruise ship. Right. Um, 
And so she was laid up um, for a long period of time, and she remains laid up to this day. She's had a bit of a turbulent history, the, the poor old ship. She was um, initially laid up with the plan that they might use her in the future. Uh, and then she was in the 1980s, she was sent to to Europe. Um, well, I should know, rather, she was sent to Turkey. Um, and um, they, they took all the asbestos out from inside the ship. And then she was towed back to America. There's been um, all sorts of um, periods of time where it looked like she might be scrapped. Um, and then she's actually uh, remarkably um, had a few ownership changes where major cruise lines have become involved. Um, in the early 2000s, uh, Norwegian Cruise Line actually purchased the ship uh, with the intention at the time, I, I believe, to actually convert her into a cruise ship. And one oh. of the reasons being is that in the in the U.S. market, if you have a ship sailing out of U.S. ports, it can only do coastal voyages if it's an American flagged ship. Or an, yep. and, and in order to get your ship flagged in the United States, um, it has to have been built in the United States. So <laughs> the SS United States obviously was built in America. So if you converted it into a cruise ship, you would be able to operate it locally in the U.S. waters, which would give it the opportunity to sail in places like Hawaii. Um, and of course, this was at the time when the U.S. was um, developing um, its Hawaiian um, wing. And the Pride of America, which is the main ship in its Hawaii region, is also built in the United States. And the reason that she's able to do Hawaiian voyages without having to leave U.S. waters is because she was um, constructed um, and flagged in America. Mm -hmm. So that was the idea, but that fell through with SS United States. So she remained in layup. Um, and then more recently, uh, Crystal cruises yeah i remember also, this yeah you will yeah we i think um i think we might have mentioned it briefly in the previous podcast as well they they actually um looked at they did a feasibility study at looking at purchasing the ship again to convert it into a into a cruise ship because she's been completely stripped out now so the ship sits in philadelphia um and it it looks dreadful on the outside like it's all weathered and de deteriorated and the lifeboats have been removed but the structure of the ship's still sound and Internally, all of the interior accommod accommodations and fixtures and fittings and all that sort of stuff, um, walls and uh, asbestos, as I mentioned before, has all been removed from the ship. So it's basically a blank shell that could be wow. used for anything. Um, but yes, ultimately, Crystal didn't um, didn't take the ship up. And um, as a result, she actually, when, when NCL sold her, she was actually sold to a, a group of people who... who you know, basically raise funds to preserve the ship in order to hope that in the future, perhaps there's going to be a future use for her. Um, and they consider the ship still America's flagship because she was the last sort of big liner built um, for the United States lines. And so she st sits there in Philadelphia and um, her future remains, um, you know, still to this day, very uncertain, but she still holds the record as the fastest ocean liner ever built. Um, and, you know, with the fact that there's only one active ocean liner in service at the moment with Queen Mary 2, I think um, Astoria and Marco Polo were the other two that were still still yeah. sailing, but who knows what's going to happen to them after the collapse of CMV. Um, you know, if she was ever converted into a cruise ship, it would give her this unique appeal because she has this ocean liner heritage, but most likely she'll end up um, either um, going to somewhere to become a permanent static display I think that's the current the current hope, or um, 
ultimately she might end up getting broken up. But the fact that the ship remains, you know, in 2020, still, you know, visibly SS United States sitting there in, in, in Philly, um, it's quite remarkable and uh, hopefully they'll have a future for her. Now, just as a quick side note for any any listeners who are thinking, hang on a minute, he said it's still the fastest record breaker. There are some um, of those hydrofoil type ships that ha- have been built um, to do the races across the Atlantic that were mm-hmm. able to capture the eastbound record and the Hales Trophy. Uh, Richard Branson was involved in one of them um, in the 90s, I, I think it was. Uh, but SS United States is still the fastest sh- uh, ocean liner or, or passenger ship built, um, and she still holds the blue riband for the westbound oh, wow. crossing. So <laughs> the, the 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 very fast um, racing ships, they, they do go both directions, but they've never been able to eclipse the United States in terms of speed on that difficult westbound service going against the Gulf Stream. So, yeah, an, a remarkable ship and an interesting piece of history, I thought. Yeah, incredible. Now, you mentioned 40 knots being uh, optimum speed that she got to in the sea trials. Just out of interest, Queen Elizabeth was, or QE2, was also a very, very fast ship. What was her kind of maximum that she ever got to? So QE2 was 32.5, was her rated maximum speed. I think she got 34 knots when she was doing her sea trials after her re-engining. Now, that 40 knots is is, is like, it's claimed. It's not not official. Um, (laughs) And in fact, when the ship was first being given its trials there was a lot of secrecy around what her performance was because of course of her second or secret use you know yeah um yeah. and i think her maximum um speed that was was rated was around about the 38 mark and i think her service speed was sort of between 34 and 35 knots so she was noticeably faster now interestingly enough at the time when she came into service because cunard had been operating queen mary for years now and she was she was known as the world's fastest liner but her sister ship queen elizabeth was you know equally well designed in fact she was a more modern design she had a more modern boiler system she had um, more modern engines and there was every um, possibility that the queen elizabeth would have actually been faster than mary had she raced against her sister ship like she was i mean and you'll have some people um, and apologies to those who are who who has strict queen mary loyalists and who will say no 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 she wasn't we never know because of course they never they never raced the two but queen elizabeth in the war for example was performing at exactly the same sort of speeds and performances as as um as mary so cunard opted to have the largest liner in the world with cunard with queen elizabeth and the fastest with queen mary it was a brilliant um sort of way to round up the marketing but they actually looked at reconditioning queen elizabeth to compete against united states before united states came into service they they reckoned that this ship was going to go for the speed record and could could they do something with queen elizabeth could they overhaul her engines and give her um any any sort of boost to allow her to recapture it but once they saw united states speed that was out of the question so um she was definitely um, well and truly the, the fastest ship of her day (laughs) <laughs> and just to put it into perspective, modern day cruise ships generally operate around about sixteen to twenty-two knots ish. Yeah, around about. Yeah, some of them are slightly faster, but most of them um, around about that speed. And the Queen, the Queen Mary two, for example, the fastest passenger ship in service at the moment. Um, her, her maximum sort of speed it sort of clocks out at about thirty knots. So, um, yeah. Yep. But I mean, that's the thing. United States was so spectacularly quick, and she was extremely popular for the first few years, but she couldn't, you know, it doesn't matter if it's um, 30 knots or 40 knots, uh, the jet airplane could totally eclipse that. So um, this became obsolete so quickly. 
Now we'll move over to uh, to more modern times. We'll start off with um, a little update from Princess, who have uh, just this week extended their pause in Australia and New Zealand. They have, yes. So um, their pause has now been extended um, in local waters, at least, through to the end of May 2021. Um, and this will impact on the the Australian and New Zealand cruises that were scheduled aboard uh, four of the ships, uh, Regal Princess, Majestic Princess, uh, Pacific Princess, which is the baby of the fleet, um, and Sapphire Princess. But um, any guests uh, or passengers who are, um, had voyages booked up until the end of May, um, they're going to be looked after with uh, refunds and future cruise credits. So um, I believe Princess will be reaching out, but if you have that booked through a travel agent, you need to just talk to your travel agent about how you're going to handle that, um, uh, that cancellation. Yeah, basically, you just need to make a decision before 30 November as to whether you want the, the future cruise credit, which is of the higher value, or whether you want to, to have that refund. And uh, all very easy to do. You just need to fill out an online form. Now, in more positive news, and two new stories that have come out of Singapore this week, mm. both of them from, from Dream Cruise Lines, how many people rushed to make a booking on those two-night cruises to nowhere on uh, Dream Cruises? Well, something like 6,000, wasn't it, in just a few days? I mean... Yeah, um, 6,000 in five days is what yeah, I heard. Yeah, it's, uh, it, you know... That must be that must be one of the one of the records at least. Um, yeah, so they operating dream cruises there in Asia, and um, with the resumption of cruises in Singapore with World Dream, um, it's um, it has been you know just a remarkable response. I suppose if you want any indication that people are missing um, missing cruising, there it is right there. Um, and at the same time as all this uh, wonderful news was coming out. The 150,000 ton ship arrived in Singapore on the 25th of October to prepare yeah. for its cruises, and uh, you know from what I what I've seen on online, it caused quite a stir. Um, seeing the big ship come back into the Singaporean ports, I think a lot of people were out to to welcome it back. So, um, you know, good news for for Dream Cruises. Yeah, I also read this morning um, that Royal Caribbean have put their crew in quarantine um, in Miami with a view to sending them over to Singapore to get ready for the, the launch of the uh, the ship that they're going to be putting in Singapore yeah. in December. So they're going to be restarting a couple of weeks after Dream Cruises. So it's all good positive news in the right direction. It is. And, um, um, sorry. I was just going to say, um, Regent Seven Seas also has had like a, an absolute um, bombardment of, of bookings as well. So it's not, just, um, it's not just Dream Cruises, but it's also people looking at future voyages because they're – they launched, we mentioned in last week's podcast, that they've launched their 2022-23 season, which is looking quite far ahead. Um, but they had a record in the number of people that were that were booking. Um, it eclipsed any previous day's um, records that were, I think, set back in 2018 for the number of bookings that they'd had. Um, and they're just being swamped by... Um, they're just being swamped by people wanting to, to go on these cruises. So I, I think there's so many indications that people are just chomping at the bit to get back on the ships yeah yeah no it is i mean regent broke a record just a couple of weeks ago for the launch of the world cruise and now they've broken another record with the launch of the 2022 and yep. 23 season so we're going so far into the future but like you say people have either got future cruise credits or they're, they're desperate to get something locked in because effectively they've missed out on a <laughs> exactly <laughs> I, mean, I say that every week on radio and i'm gonna have something I'm, to look I'm saying to my because uh, i do the lectures on board the, the different ships and i keep saying to them can you book me in yet please i just have to have something <laughs> in the future to look forward to you know it's, it's exciting now. yeah well when you are booked in we need to mention that on the podcast because i'm sure some of the listeners will follow you and come to, to listen to some of your oh, lectures that would be lovely yeah it'd be nice to meet some people 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, we're going to head over to our, our hometown here, Fremantle, Western Australia. True North, which is a, a boutique um, mm. yacht, for want of a better word, normally up in the Kimberley region. Yep. Um, she's going to be coming down to Fremantle and offering cruises to the southwest. I know. I can't quite believe it. Cruises out of Western Australia, um, of course, Australia as a whole and Western Australia um, still have the international cruise ban in place, which means that no ships that are flagged out or passenger ships that are flagged outside of Australia, um, which is, of course, the vast majority um, are allowed to, to operate in Australian waters. But True North is a, is a little local cruise ship. Um, as you mentioned, she, she usually cruises up in the Kimberley and goes, you know, small enough to go into all of the little um, little places up there that uh, big ships just can't get into. But she's coming down to Frio um, and she'll be doing cruises from December 2020, 20, December this year, uh, through to um, early 2021. And that's kind of interesting types of cruises between four and nine nights. Uh, um, there's a couple that, that will concentrate on Rotnest, which is, a, for those of you who don't know, it's an island off the coast of, um, off the coast of Perth. Um, but they're also going to go um, to south to the southwest. They're going to go to Dampier, and they've got a few cruises that um, head up the north along the coast. So, um, cruising out of Fremantle that'll be quite exciting. And as a side note to that, um, Baz, you might have heard that the Fremantle passenger terminal is going to be opening um, up its doors for a, for a um, for an open day. Um, yeah, now this is something that people have been asking for for years because normally the terminal is closed for, for cruise operations and when there's no ships here, it's used for the importation of vehicles and yeah. other things around the port. So it's quite hard to get into this building. So yeah, they decided is. to throw open the doors and let us all in. Yeah, it's an interesting building actually because it's um, remarkably, it remains as, as Australia's largest cruise terminal. Um, and once you get there and you go inside, you can really you can really see that. It's um, it's quite, quite an impressive structure. In fact, it's... Um, it actually dates back to the ocean liner era. Um, the the terminal was built to accommodate the, the the ending years, I suppose, of the assisted passage scheme, where all the big um, ocean liners used to come here to to help people immigrate to Australia. Um, it's a heritage listed building, and it's designed in a modernist style. So it has a very unique um, kind of polarizing external appearance, and some people love it. Modern, <laughs> you know, people who are, fans of that type of architecture and other people think it's sort of this, this relic but when you walk inside the building again it's sort of it's like stepping back in time it's been really nicely maintained on the inside it's got um very high ceilings it's got lots of, of woodwork uh, wood in different um art in different woods from around um western australia it has um the the, the wooden floors there and um you know sort of is a bit of a of a heritage experience um, but it's huge. It has so much space. You can have multiple ships alongside at the same time. And so on the 15th of um, November, they're going to be opening it up and you can have a look at its interior. You can explore um, the history. They'll have sort of displays. And they usually, when the cruise ships are there, they usually have big displays of all of the famous ships that have come through, like, um, you know, the Canberra and the Oriana and the Kiwi 2 and the Achille Laro. Um, but they're also going to have a vintage fashion show and you'll even be able to bring the kids along so they can meet the board of force detector dogs. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> so it should be a fun, fun day um, for people um, in November. Yeah. Now, you don't need to book a ticket. You can just rock up um, the Fremantle Passenger Terminal. Um, if you don't know where it is, it's Peter Hughes Drive on Victoria Quay. You can't miss it. It's on uh, Fremantle Port, of course. It's open from 9 till 2, Sunday the 15th of December. There is some parking available in the terminal, but of course, the train station is only just a, a short uh, walk away over the the bridge over the rail line. Mm. So uh, if you've got any interest in maritime history or you're just curious as to what it looks like in there, then head on down. 
Now, um, we've also got some news from National Geographic. They're, one, of course, one of the expedition leaders uh, with their, their small expedition ships that pretty much go all over the world, but they hit uh, another milestone this week. They did. So their newest ship, um, the National Geographic Resolution, which has been under construction, um, it's actually had um, a bit of a, a relocation. So the ship itself um, is being built across two yards in two different countries. Um, the polar class hull of the ship, which allows it to do these, you know, expedition voyages into icy regions, um, it was built in Poland. Um, mm-hmm. But that's been towed across to Norway for the remainder of the ship and the interior to be constructed. Now, the hull comes complete with all of its sort of critical machinery, so the engines and the propellers and the, well, the pods and the thrusters and that sort of thing. But the, the internal design and the rest of the um, superstructure will be completed in, in Norway. This sounds a bit strange, but it's not, it's not that unusual. Um, like it's, it's definitely rare, but um, it has happened before. And in fact, the ship that I mentioned when we were talking about United States, the Pride of America, she was also built across two yards. The hull was built in the United States and then she was towed to Germany where the rest of the ship was finished. So um, different shipyards sometimes have different um, expertise, which they can mm-hmm. combine to work. Um, and so that's a, a milestone for her construction. And um, with everything go- going according to plan, she's set to be delivered to the line in 2021. Brilliant. Now, Chris, just hold fire there. We're just going to take a little break. And when sure. we come back, um, we've got a listener question from Lynn. And as always, you are welcome to send in your list of questions. Either myself, Chris, or Pete, when he's available, we'll do our best to to answer them. The next question came in from Lynn. Now, Lynn is a diehard Cunada, uh, just like yourself, Chris. <laughs> and um, she's been on many, many cruises. She's really keen to cruise again, but she is very curious. And to be honest, this question is coming up an awful lot in travel agents around the country. They want to know the specifics of what will actually happen on board. What will I be required to do? Will I still be able to do the things I love? And in particular, um, Lynn loves to take part in the the, the trivia, um, the card games, and also uses the gym at least twice a day. And she's just worried that she can't. if she can't do that, then it's not going to be a true cruise experience for her. And she's getting all these great deals into her inbox and would love to book them, but she's just cautious of making that booking because she she wants to know that she can go to the gym she can play cards she can have that cruise experience that she's loved for for, for many many years so uh, i guess we can start off with what clear are saying because clear have said that any member cruise line um will do certain things and the first one is that you will have to take a test before you cruise so you will do a covid19 test about 48 hours before you board giving you the results which you can then prove to the cruise line that you are safe to travel. You will also then undergo temperature checks at the terminal and possibly regularly throughout the cruise. Um, have you heard anything specifically from from the Cunard stance? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, Cunard's obviously um, delayed their resumption to service until uh, early next year, May, March through May of next year. So they've been busy, like many of the cruise lines, developing their specific response. And I think, I mean, obviously, they're going to be following the um, the clear recommendations, as as you mentioned. Uh, but in terms of the specifics relating to uh, the types of activities that um, Lynn is interested in, I mean, all of the cruise lines have, to some extent, said that they're going to do everything they can to ensure that the cruise experience is, is as you expect it to be. Nothing majorly specific about those particular events. But what I would say is that if you look at the cruise lines that have recommenced so far 
they're definitely doing certain things a little bit differently to allow you to still enjoy that cruise experience. So you might have to um, book, say, for example, to attend events rather than just turning up so they can make sure that numbers are are right. Um, They've definitely, um, I I believe, um, Barry, that Cunard has said uh, that they won't be having the the buffet restaurants um, or open seatings, for example, so you'll have uh, reservations in the dining room. That's um, right, and yeah, and the buffet will obviously be served to you, which they've done to a certain extent over the years, anyway. Yeah, I mean they do that uh, back in back in the nineties um, and early two thousands when norovirus used to have um, regular sort of outbreaks on ships around the world. Um, they were, all the shipping lines would automatically revert their buffets to being um, where the crew serve you. So you'd go along and you'd get the food served to you rather than you handling handling it yourself. So I think that they've got a long history of how to deal with. Um, health and safety on board the ships, which they can which they can pull on um, for that. Um, also, like I mean, again, not specific to Cunard just yet, but if you look at some of the other lines, you can that are that are operating, you can see how they're using technology as well to to yep. help with this. So there's some some ships, obviously, that are, that are set up to have um, bookings that can be done either through the interactive television or through your phone. Um, Cunard is already said on their website that they've made some changes to the to the ships including filtration of the air and stuff so whether or not they're also looking at um during this downtime changing the systems on board so that they can allow for these technological um uh uh, services to be to be delivered to passengers uh we'll just have to wait and see exactly how it looks when they when they start um when they start sailing again but I think you can look to the other lines from the from the Carnival Corporation and also to the clear recommendations as to what you might expect. But what I don't think, I don't think they're going to shut down all of the experiences on board. I think it would just be a situation where it's a little bit more controlled. And then, of course, as time goes on, you know, the response to COVID will change. And if there's a vaccine, then things will change. So it really depends, again, on when you're planning to cruise and, you know, keeping an eye on um what's happening with the with the development around uh, the virus as to how much of an impact that's going to be making. And I think, you know, hopefully if there's a vaccine that is, is effective over time, that might, um, that might reduce. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be one of the first people on one of the first Cunard cruises, there will be less people on board because all of the cruise lines are saying that they will reduce the passenger numbers by a certain extent. Now, that has varied from different cruise lines. I don't think Cunard would have given a specific but I've heard different cruise lines saying anything from a 30% to a 50% reduction of passengers on board, which automatically means that there is more space for you and there is less people competing to attend at things like the quizzes. But yeah, I think what you mentioned about technology there, whether it be through the app on your phone, through um, your stateroom TV, or even going back to basics of signing up on a piece of paper somewhere to say that I want to be in the quiz um, or I want to go to the gym at nine o'clock for 45 minutes so that they could just control the flow and the number of people. And um, a question not specific to Lynn, but a question that's been coming in also is around about face masks. And I think, mm. again, it's going to be very, very cruise line specific. And in the early days, it will probably be more prevalent. And as we learn to live with it, 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 may, it may get relaxed over time. But from what I've seen in Europe, most of the cruise lines are insisting on wearing a face mask certainly in the corridors going to and from your stateroom because obviously space is a bit of an issue in those corridors but once you get up into the the open lounges and up onto the open decks then it's uh, it's not um, a requirement or not enforced yeah. so uh, I mean, on the Cunard, again yeah on the Cunard website there's a section um that's uh, referred to as um the health and safety advice but also your experience on Cunard and they have a section here that talks about their plans for you know people boarding ships and and that sort of thing 
um, when, when cruising resumes. And I'm just going to read something that's direct from the website. Sure. It says, prior to your departure, um, Cunard will send you the latest public health guidance as well as pre-voyage information about mitigating the risk of COVID-19 along with health declaration questionnaires. Um, so I think what you'll find is, you know, as we've seen over the last, um, what is it, eight months um, of, of COVID, that the things that de- have developed and changed over time. So with that sort of information on the Cunard website, it sort of suggests that the company will keep you up to date as to what's happening at the time and what the actual regulations will be on your specific cruise. So that may include, you know, what Barry's been just been talking about. It might include some information about, you know, lim- limiting the, the, the contact on board. But they've also said things that they'll be, they'll be doing um, on board the ships, including um, increasing the number of hand sanitation stations. They'll be... Um, you know, as I mentioned before, there's some some information there as well about the change in how um, the entertainment, uh, rather the restaurants and bars are going to be um, operated. But they also said here, um, under entertainment, we'll continue to offer a comprehensive program of music, theatre and guest speakers on each voyage with measures in place to ensure each performance adheres to the latest wellbeing and social distance guidance. So I think the takeaway for this, Lynn, is that you'll most likely still get your Cunard experience. It just might be a little bit different as to how you get into each of the different events and you might have to plan a bit more ahead than what you were doing on previous voyages. Yep, yep. No, I, I couldn't agree more. That sounds pretty much spot on. Um, I will put, we've got two links from Cunard, which we can share. We will put them in the show notes and I will send them back personally to Lynn. Excellent. Well, uh, if you have personally got a question, whether it's generic to cruising or whether you've got something specific about a particular cruise line, you can get in touch with us via the website. The website being thebigcruisepodcast.com. There is a button in the top right-hand corner, um, join the show. That's where you can send your question to us. And you can also nominate a ship and a cruise that you've been on, uh, we used to say within the last kind of 12 months or so, but we're getting to, to stretch that now because uh, people haven't been cruising for at least eight months. So if, you, we're gonna, you know, if you've got a, a cruise that you want to share and love and, and share it with the listeners, we'd, be, we'd love to have you a part of the show. And you can do that via the same button on the, the website. Now, Chris, before we uh, let you go, every week you put out a great video um, on your YouTube and social channels. What are we talking about this week? So this this week we're going to have a bit of a look at the Australian situation, the the, uh, the cruise pause, which ships have been impacted, uh, when cruising is going to resume, um, and I think I do get a lot of questions from people that that I that follow my social media as to why is it that there are no um, cruise ships, you know, off Australian coasts or operating in Australia? What is this cruise ban all about? Um, and then now, of course, with news that um, ships like True North are coming um, to Fremantle, it's obviously confusing people a little bit, like, is there a cruise banner, isn't there? So we're just going to have a look at that and uh, clarify that in this week's video. Should be out over the weekend or early next week. No problem. Well, as always, the YouTube link is in the show notes, but we will give it a little push on our social pages as well. Chris, it is always a pleasure, and I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about at the same time next week. Thanks so much, Barry. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. 
Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide, from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.